The following sermon is brought to you by New Covenant Community Church, a Bible-based church located on Route 62 east of Johnstown, Ohio. To learn about New Covenant Community Church, visit www.new-covenant.org. Again, that is new-covenant.org. Now, enjoy the message. Good morning, New Covenant Community Church. What a joy it is to be with all of you this morning. Glad to be here. Brianna, thank you for leading us in worship. If you have a Bible, and I certainly hope that you do, turn to John chapter 21. John chapter 21. We're going to be in many different areas of Scripture. We will eventually end by getting to the 21st chapter of the book of John. So the other Scriptures when we in this journey this morning that we'll take to get there, I invite you to either turn to the other Scriptures with me or I'll be going through them quickly so you can feel free to jot them down in the margin of your Bible if you do that kind of thing or if you write in the back of the bulletin whatever you need to do to take notes. John chapter 21. We've been in a, on a five-week-long journey that today marks the conclusion of. of This series we've been in titled Fisherman to Apostle. We've been looking at the life of Peter and how Jesus called him out of the life of a fisherman into being an apostle, the things that Peter learned along the way. And we've seen the richness of their relationship that they had. And uh, it's been a good journey. I hope that next week, which I'm excited about getting to the book of 1 Peter, that we read it differently than we've ever read it before. So John chapter 21 as you turn there. If you know much about the profession of shepherding as it was in biblical times, you might know that what we see depicted on many paintings and pictures of a shepherd having this shepherd's pole with a curve on the end type staff isn't necessarily a correct understanding of what a shepherd had. Uh, we many times see depicted in paintings and pictures them using this curved end staff to pull the sheep that has been wandering from the flock back into the fold. Uh, more accurately, what it was that a shepherd had, rather, was they would find a young sapling tree that was about, about the diameter of a quarter, and they would cut the top of it off about the height of their head, and then they would pull it up by the roots, and then they would trim the roots off, and that was actually the head of the staff. And this was not just some cutesy little thing that they would hook around the neck of a wandering sheep to bring it back in the fold. This was, this was a weapon. It was flexible. It was a green tree. And it was a club. And this was what the shepherd would use as a weapon to protect the flock from either human, uh, trying, people trying to rob the flock, or from wolves, bears, whatever was in that territory that could harm the flock. The shepherd would keep them, the, the flock safe with this weapon that he carried. And uh, unlike what we think of of a shepherd hooking this little staff around and bringing the small sheep back into the flock, what would happen more commonly is if a sheep strayed, the shepherd would take the sheep and would take this weapon that he always had at his side, and he would purposely break the front leg, one of the front legs of the sheep. And then immediately the shepherd would take the sheep, mend the leg with a splint, and it would, the shepherd would keep the sheep with him for however many weeks it took until this leg was fully mended. And once this sheep was reconciled back to the shepherd and the leg was mended and they were better off for it, the sheep would never leave the shepherd's side again. The sheep was, was a changed sheep from then on. It would never be one to stray again. 
We know of Peter that he's learned probably thus far something of Jesus' power. And he's watched Jesus in the temple overturning tables and protecting the flock. And he's seen the power of Jesus and and thwarting the powers of darkness in the lives of the people that he's blessed. And and Peter knows something of Jesus' power as as a protector, as a shepherd that can protect the flock. And this week we're going to learn about Peter being reconciled to Jesus. Peter's going to learn about the reconciliation that God offers people who repent. So if you would, hopefully your Bibles are there. Let's first start by going to the Lord in prayer. Father, you are gracious to us and merciful. And it's such a gift and a privilege, God. I I sometimes wonder as I see people driving up and down 62 if they even wonder what they're missing in a fellowship of believers and the the joy that we have together and this communion that we have with you together. God, this is so sweet. We could never have even dreamed of something so wonderful. The love that we have for each other and for you and and the, the collective praise that we can lift together in your name and because of your name and to lift your name high what a joyous gift that is and we just want to say that we're thankful for it this morning in jesus name and everybody says amen feel free to write these scriptures down as i go through these rather quickly mark chapter 14 verses 27 through 42 mark chapter 14 verses 27 through 42 then jesus said to them All of you will be made to stumble me because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter said to him, Even if all are made to stumble, yet I will not be. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that today, even this night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he spoke more vehemently, saying, If I have to die with you, I will not deny you, Peter says. And they all said likewise. Then they came to a place which is called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I pray. And he took Peter, James, and John with him. And he began to be troubled and deeply distressed. Then he said to them, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful, even to death. Stay here and watch. He went a little further and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. Then he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you sleeping? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray lest you enter into temptation. The spirit is indeed willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, he went away and prayed and spoke the same words. And when he returned, he found them sleeping again, for their eyes were heavy and they did not know what to answer him. Then he came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? It is enough. The hour has come. Behold, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. Luke 22, verses 54 through 62. Luke 22, verses 54 through 62. Having arrested him, they led him and brought him into the high priest's house. But Peter followed at a distance, 
Now when they had kindled a fire in the midst of the courtyard and sat down together, Peter sat among them. And a certain servant girl, seeing him as he sat by the fire, looked intently at him and said, This man was also with him. But he denied him, saying, Woman, I do not know him. And after a little while, another saw him and said, You also are of them. But Peter said, Man, I am not. Then after about an hour had passed, another confidently confirmed, saying, Surely this fellow also was with him, for he is a Galilean. But Peter said, Man, I do not know who you are saying. Immediately, while he was still speaking, the rooster crowed. And the Lord turned and looked at Peter. Then Peter remembered the word of the Lord, how he had said to him, Before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. So Peter went out and wept bitterly. We're talking about reconciliation this morning, and there are six things particularly that I will mention regarding reconciliation. And just from these verses alone, we haven't even gotten to John chapter 21, which is where you're turning your Bibles, which we will eventually get to in that process. But, but seeing even from these verses some things of reconciliation that we know, I'll mention six if you're taking notes. Number one, reconciliation came at a high cost to Jesus. Reconciliation came at a high cost to Jesus. When Jesus led the disciples to the place called Gethsemane, and he said to stay here, and he took them a little bit further with him, Peter, James, and John, and he said, you stay here. I am deeply distressed in my spirit, even to death. When Jesus went even a little bit further by himself and fell on the ground and was praying, Father, all things are possible for you. If it is your will, let this cup pass for me, but not my will, yours be done. As, as Jesus is so distressed in his spirit, and even in some another gospel, it says that he was so distressed that his body was sweating droplets of blood, which is an actual condition that the human body can experience when placed under an enormous load of stress and pressure. Undoubtedly, the thing that Jesus was thinking about in this time is the Roman crucifixion that he was getting ready to endure even to this day the roman crucifixion as we know it is the most horrific way of punishment and death to this date in all of human history it was common for in the roman crucifixion if it was a man being crucified that his beard would be ripped from his face and that would be traumatic but that wouldn't kill a man people would be punched in the face with fists and beaten with rods and that would be traumatic but that wouldn't kill a man most people don't recognize that the roman crucifixion most people never even made it to the cross alive if someone made it to the actual crucifixion part of that punishment it would meant that they endured so much but most people died and you say pastor in what do you mean here's what i mean the other things that was leading up to the crucifixion were horrific but the thing that would actually take the life of a man was the beating with the cat of nine tails you see, as it was customary in that time, they would be hit, whipped, or lashed, whatever you want to say, with a cat of nine tails. And what that was was a handle with these strips of leather or these strips of pieces of leather, nine of them coming out. And, and, and each one was braided into it pieces of broken pottery, glass, and shards of metal. And there were nine of them being hit nine times. So you do the multiplication, and it's the equivalent of a single strand of a big, strapping, very strong, in-shape Roman soldier lashing the body. If you imagine one whip, if you imagine 39 times 9 with one whip, 
and I'm no math major, but I'm pretty sure that's like 350 some odd amount of times of being whipped. So you think of flesh being torn with each time, 350 lashings, individual lashings on the body of a human. It's no wonder that they would bleed to death and being beat to death. These are the things that Jesus in his sovereignty knew was coming his way. And the reconciliation that he bought for you and me with his blood came at a very, very high cost to him. Isaiah 53 verse 5 says, but he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. And the chastisement of our peace was upon Him. And by His stripes, we are healed. So church, let our religiosity melt in the presence of what Jesus has done for us. Let our traditionally influenced ideas of church melt in the presence of Jesus and what He has done. And let's make no bones about it that this was a horrific experience that He endured for you and me. A purchase that He was making with His blood for you and for me. Let us never get over that. Let us always live in humble submission to understanding what it was that our Savior has done for His. Praise be unto God for Him. Number two, reconciliation with God is needed due to the depravity of our hearts. This is no surprise. We know of Peter that he goes from the Passover supper, which is the time in when he says, Jesus, even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. Passionately, he's saying this. Devoted to the Jesus, even if all the rest of these goobers deny you, I will not. I will not be the one. You fast forward just a couple hours later, and Peter is napping at Christ's most desperate hour. You fast forward a couple hours after that, and he is denying him in front of these people, saying, I do not even know this man. And you say, what's wrong with Peter? Very simple. It's the same thing that's wrong with you and me. Brokenness inside of us. Depravity inside of us. This is the reason that we need a Savior. We need to be reconciled back to God because we are so broken, He is so holy, and we are so desperately wicked as the prophet Isaiah said. We need reconciliation because of the depravity of our hearts. Number three, reconciliation involves our true repentance. Everyone say true repentance with me. Ready, set, go. True repentance. Peter did exactly like Jesus said. Jesus said, Peter, before the rooster crows twice, you'll deny me three times. Peter denies him. And in this moment, we can, we can understand from the other timeline of the Gospel, but that at the point that Peter had denied him three times, and the Bible says that the Lord looked, and Peter and Jesus meet eyes with one another. And by this point, we can probably know that Jesus' face was swollen from the, from the beating on the face that the soldiers and the, the Sanhedrin had been mocking him with. And he probably had spit on him and his beard was his face was swollen from where his beard had been ripped from his face and he probably had dried blood on his lips and his face and he's and he's looking at Peter and Peter sees him and all of a sudden this great great conviction and recognition of what Peter has done comes into his heart and he goes out of the courtyard weeping bitterly now if you're like me i've always read this story before i read it differently than i've ever read it before until this week you read that story of peter thinking man that's he failed this is so sad he's he's failed he's going out weeping but the more i thought about it and prayed about it, i realized the fact that he went out weeping 
bitterly because of his sin that he's convicted about. He meets eyes with Jesus and he recognized, he remembered the word of the Lord, how Jesus said that he was going to do this and he's repentant for his sin. He has the absolute best response that he could have. He's broken over his sin. He's, if he would have gone out of the courtyard with any other emotion, say he would have gone out of the courtyard angry, that Jesus, he's always making everything so hard. He, he has asked too much of me. I, I, how does he expect all these people and he's the one that's in trouble why, why am I I shouldn't feel that bad because he's always making everything hard or if he would have gone out of the courtyard flippantly oh, he's gracious he'll, he'll forgive me it's, I, I can live this way and it's okay church hear me if he would have gone out of that courtyard with any other emotion and feeling and true repentance other than the the weeping bitterly remorse that he felt for his sin, it would have been proof that he was not a child of God. And, and hear my next words carefully, church, because my greatest fear in ministry, and I'll be transparent with you, my greatest fear in ministry is to convince someone who is saved that they aren't or someone who isn't saved that they are. But we can know from the truth of God's Word before us that if Peter's reaction would have been anything than what it was, it would have been proof that he was not a child of God. So if you are in communication with another person and they like to get drunk and they don't see, they, they know what the Bible says about drunkenness, but they are either flippant, don't care, angry, have a self-entitlement to I can be this way. Church, it is proof. that they, And they know what God's Word says. They, they, it is proof that their hearts are hardened and that they are not a child of God. And the same could be true about any other sin for people who know what God's Word says, yet they choose to live differently. It's not something important enough. They walk out of the courtyard not remorseful, not broken about their sin, fornication, adultery, homosexuality, lying, cheating, stealing, and any other way that people can sin against God and have that feeling in their heart that's other than remorse against the, the fact that they know they've sinned against God. It's proof that they are not a child of God. So I ask all of us, I feel the responsibility before Almighty God to say to you this morning, examine your hearts. Do you walk out of the courtyard weeping bitterly over your sin or do we have other feelings, flippant, angry, whatever it might be, towards our sin? And make no mistake, church, this kind of repentance, going out weeping bitterly, it's an opposition of what the culture's teaching us and I, and I don't even think I even realize the full weight of how the devil has worked his fingers into the culture to try and get us to believe a certain thing listen to this the lyrics of this song that I heard recently and this is a this is a song by Luke Bryan country singer and if you like Luke Bryan I like some of his songs too and this is certainly a very catchy song but listen to the lyrics of this song and you may like the song but you need to understand that this the lyrics what this the message of this song is telling us is a lie and you need to understand it. Listen to these lyrics. He says, I believe most people are good, and most mamas ought to qualify for sainthood. I believe most Friday nights look better under neon or stadium lights. I believe you love who you love. Ain't nothing you ever ought to be ashamed of. I believe this world ain't half bad as it looks. I believe most people are good. My friends, it would be enough for me this morning to tell you that yes, it may be a catchy song, and if, I'm not beating you up if you like Luke Bryan, but that is not the truth. It is not the truth. Matthew seven thirteen through 14 says, Enter by the narrow gate, for wide is 
the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are a few who find it. There are a few who find it. So when Peter is walking out of that courtyard weeping because of his sin, bitterly weeping because of sin, he feels remorse and repentance in his heart because of the sin in his life. He was walking on that narrow road. He was going through that narrow gate. So praise be unto God that Peter's reaction was this way. So let's pray together. Father, I pray that we would have the same reaction to our sin. That it would cause us to weep bitterly. That we would not be flippant about it yes father let us rejoice in the joy of our salvation that we have freedom in you and forgiveness in you and and all the things that come but father make it certain in our hearts help us to examine ourselves so that we know that we're of you and that our hearts are remorseful and repentant turning from our sin in jesus name so Jesus, at this point, is then crucified on Mount Calvary, and he's laid in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea, you know the Easter story. And at this point, Peter is at an all-time low. His leg is broken, as it were. And he's a sheep with a broken leg. And, and he's probably thinking to himself, I was the one who, I, I was supposed to be the rock on which the church was built. I was there when He called me and, and He created the miraculous catch of fish. I was there. I saw when He healed the woman with the issue of blood. Took time. For, he was on, Jesus was on His destination to somewhere else and He took time for this outcast of a woman and graciously healed her. And I was there when He took Jairus' daughter by the hand and lifted her out of bed and she was there like a dead person. And, and, and Peter's thinking to himself, I was supposed to be the one that was going to lead the church. And I denied Him. I failed. But here's the great news, church. From here on out, it changes. The trajectory of Peter's story changes because he was repentant. Because he walked out of that courtyard, through the narrow gate, on the narrow path, broken about his sin, he was willing to follow Jesus. Listen to how the story changes from here on out. Mark 16, verses 1 through 7. Now, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene. Mary, the mother of James, and Salome brought spices that they might come and anoint him. Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And they said among themselves, Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in, long white, in a long white robe, sitting on the right side. And they were alarmed. But he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter. Everyone say, and Peter. Tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. And there you will see him as he said to you. What Peter deserved in this moment, and I almost chuckle when I think of this, what Peter deserved was for this angel to be real snarky and say, go tell the disciples and Peter, that low down, no good. Mm. 
Go tell the disciples and Peter, that denier of the risen Christ. Go tell the disciples and Peter, the, the hothead who's always getting into trouble. Go tell Peter that unsanctified bad word. Whatever. I don't know. You get the idea. There are so many things that Peter deserved, but what did the angel say? Go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you. Number four, reconciliation with God does not give us what we deserve. Reconciliation with God does not give us what we deserved. The prophet Jonah, when he was finally obedient, went to the city of Nineveh, that great city. There were so many hundreds of thousands, tons of people there. And, and Jonah goes through the city pronouncing the, the, the judgment that God was pronouncing over Nineveh. The people repented. The decree came from the king. And the people repented. They walked on the narrow road. This whole city, an amazing story of a whole city, truly repenting, true repentance before God. The king made a decree for that no man, no animal should eat or drink anything. We are to repent in sackcloth and ashes. And God relented from doing harm. And Jonah was kind of peeved about this. Because he wanted God to express his judgment over these wicked, vile people. And, and Jonah's on the outside of the city and he's, he's whining. He's saying, God, you wonder why I ran from you? This is why. Because I knew you were a, a, a God that's slow to anger, who relents from doing harm. God did not give to Nineveh what they deserved. God did not give to Peter what he deserved. And as children of God, you and I do not receive and reconciliation, what we deserve. Reconciliation with God does not give us what we deserve. Has it ever crossed your mind, church, that it would be a gracious, merciful, compassionate action of God if He were to cause His followers, Christ's followers, to spend, say, a thousand years in hell before they were to be in heaven as a way to pay for the sins that you and I commit all the time? It would be a gracious act of God. But we know that's not what happens. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor has it entered the heart of a man, the things which God has prepared for those who love Him. Why? Because we're reconciled and it does not give us what we deserve. The gracious, merciful compassion of God comes to the person who truly repents. And reconciliation does not give us what we deserve. Now we're finally at John chapter 21. We're looking to verse 1, reading first the first six verses. Jesus is now raised from the dead, and he's going about revealing himself to his disciples. Verse 1 After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples at the Sea of Tiberias. And in this way he showed himself Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathanael of Cana of Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples were together. And Simon said to them, I'm going fishing. So they said to him, We are going with you also. They went out and immediately got into the boat, and that night they caught nothing. But when the morning had now come, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said to them, Children, have you any food? They answered him, No. And he said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast the net, and now they were not able to draw it in because of the multitude of fish. Now I hope you're thinking to yourself, Wait a second, this sounds familiar. 
when before were the, the disciples on the Sea of Tiberias, or also known as we know the Sea of Gesserinet or the Sea of Galilee? When before were the disciples in a boat together fishing all night? With, could you imagine, Rick, fishing all night, great time of night to fish, and caught nothing? When before has that happened? When before have they not recognized that it was Jesus? And then He tells them to let down their net for a catch. And then they catch a multitude of them. This is where we've come full circle. Back to the beginning of when Jesus called Peter as a disciple. These things are all the same. They're on the same body of water. Fishing all night with no luck. They don't know who it is that Jesus is before He tells them to bring down the net for a catch of fish and then they catch a multitude. It's bringing it full circle to bring this remembrance back to the disciples. Now look back to verse 7 and this is where it gets really interesting. Therefore, that disciple whom, the G- whom Jesus loved, this would most likely be the Apostle John, he said to Peter, It is the Lord! Now when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he had removed it, and he plunged into the sea. But the other disciples came in the little boat, for they were not far from land, but about 200 cubits, dragging the net with the fish. Then as soon as they had come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid on it, and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish which you have just caught. Simon Peter went up and dragged the net to the land, full of large fish, 153. And although there were so many, the net was not broken. Jesus said to them, Come and eat breakfast. Yet none of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? Knowing that it was the Lord. Jesus then came and took the bread and gave it to them, and likewise the fish. So here are the differences. We know the similarities. They're on the same body of water. Disciples together, fishing all night. They don't know that it's Jesus. He lets them tell, tells them to let down the net for a catch. They catch a multitude of fish. But here are the things that are differences, and I believe that they are key differences. Before when they caught the multitude of fish, the net broke, if you remember that back in Luke chapter 5. The net was breaking as they were bringing the fish. Now it explicitly tells us that the net did not break. Secondly, Peter was previously wanting Jesus to depart from him. The moment that Jesus recognized that it, who Jesus was, that He was Messiah, that He was the Christ, that He was the Son of God, and Peter recognized he understands who He is as a sinful man. In Luke chapter 5, what does he do? He falls on his knees and says, Jesus, depart from me, for I'm a sinful man. But now, Peter cannot get to Jesus fast enough. The boat couldn't even move quick enough. He plunges into the sea to get to Jesus. Why? Because Jesus used, or excuse me, Peter used to be a fisherman. And now he is an apostle. Now he's a disciple. He's been born again. He is a changed man because of Christ. And we know that this changed the rest of Peter's life. He goes from the one who denied Jesus three times, and many of us in our hearts would think that we would never do that, and I'd like for us to really question that. I think there's so much of revealed in Peter that's so much in the heart of you and I. He goes from the one who's denying Jesus to later in Acts chapter 2, verse 36, he's standing in Jerusalem before thousands of people, before thousands of religious people, and he says, Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Peter has a bit of a different message from denying Jesus to now boldly proclaiming who it is that God is. He goes from the one who was sleeping during Jesus' most precious 
desperate hours. He's praying in the, with, to the Father in this sweet, precious way of, Father, not my will, but Yours be done. He goes from Peter, the one who's sleeping during that time, to the one when it finally came time for him to die by crucifixion because of his faith. He didn't even want to be crucified right side up. He said, let me be crucified upside down because I'm not even worthy to be crucified in the same way that my Lord was. Why is Peter this way? It's because he's been born again. He's been reconciled. He's a sheep with a mended leg and he'll never leave the shepherd's side. His walk will forever be different. He'll never stray. He's, he's forever changed and close to the Savior because he's, he's a sheep with a mended leg. There's a dear friend of mine who spent the vast majority, he's an elderly gentleman now, and he spent the majority of his life unsaved. And in his late 50s, early 60s, he came to the Lord and hearing him share his testimony, it sounds something like, he says, Pastor Ben, he says, after I got saved, and I, he said, the first time I was in my house and I looked out the window, he's like, it made the rest of my life feel like I was looking through a dirty window. He said, if you can imagine just a window, just an old farmhouse window that hasn't been cleaned in ages, this is full of dust and spiderwebs. He says, that was what my whole life was like. And after I got saved, it was as if the window was perfectly clear or there was nothing there. He's like, that's how radical. He was like, I was born again. That was the proof to me that I was a changed man. Can we, can we remember, if we, if we became saved in our adult life, can we remember what it was like to be born again, to be reconciled? with God. Number five, reconciliation with God offers spiritual wholeness. Reconciliation with God offers spiritual wholeness. Now here's my interpretation of the net breaking previously in the first event of the miraculous catch of fish and not breaking now. This is my interpretation as best I can tell. I'm going to tell you to go read it for yourself and pray and see how you can interpret this. This is my best interpretation is that before the breaking net represented his broken life and his inability to do what it was that God had commanded and called him to do. But now this net not breaking, even though there were 153 large fish. That's a good day of fishing, Rick. 153 large fish, and the net didn't break. My best interpretation is that it represented the fullness and the sustainment that God would bring to him and all that God would offer him to do and call him to do and have happen in his life. That he would be full and sustained with unbreaking determination. John chapter 8, verses 34 through 36 says, Jesus answered them, Most assuredly, I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave to sin. And a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. You shall be free indeed. Reconciliation with God offers spiritual wholeness. And I believe that that net not breaking this time represented the spiritual wholeness that was represented in Peter's life. Number six, reconciliation with God offers a welcoming invitation to come to Him. You probably remember the story in Luke chapter 15 of the prodigal son. And the son asked for his inheritance early. He was kind of a disgrace and very rude to his father. He leaves and squanders all this money. And then he's, he's out in the field taking care of these pigs because he didn't have any, he didn't have any money to support himself. And he finally decided, he, he decided to walk on through that narrow gate on that narrow road 
and you decided, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I, I'm going to go back and I'm going to repent. I'm going to say, Father, if you'll just make me like one of your hired servants. It was the act of repentance of this man to say, I'm going to go back and just ask whatever he'll offer me. I'll take because I've, I've, I've sinned against him and against heaven. And I'll just, I'll do whatever. I just, I'm tired of this. I'm going to repent. And he walks through that narrow gate on that narrow road and he goes back to the Father. And what does the Father do? He runs to the boy. Because the boy had chosen to repent. Because Peter had chosen to repent. And he runs to Jesus. There were many things in, in, in the story of the prodigal son. There were many things that the father could have said. He could have been on the porch. You're not getting another dime of my money. You don't deserve a thing. Get off my land. But because God is gracious, the father offered him something he didn't deserve. Jesus could have treated Peter the exact same way. And what does Peter receive on the beach? A stern talking to? A what for conversation? No. He's given breakfast. Prepared by the Son of God. He says, come, let us eat. Let me, let me give you this bread and this fish that I've prepared for you. But church, what I want to tell you this morning, reconciliation with God offers a welcoming invitation to come to Him. That welcoming invitation, the safety of being a child of God, being welcomed by God. He runs to us. He throws a party for us. The Bible says that there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over many more that have no need of repentance. That joy, that expressed joy, the safety that we're kept in God's arms, the breakfast that Jesus offers on the beach to Peter, the reconciliation that God offers is inaugurated by our repentance. I should have just called this, titled this message Rated R. Because so many churches don't talk about that word anymore. Repentance. It means to turn from your way. When Peter turned from his, his wickedness of denying Christ, when the son turned from his wickedness of squandering his father's wealth, when you and I repent and we turn from the ways in which we have lived, everything changes from there. And God embraces us. He offers us what we do not deserve. And we are made a child of God. And our eternal home goes from hell to heaven. That is the truth. And that's the truth that I have, as a pastor, have devoted my life to. And very unfortunately, many quote-unquote pastors devote their life to this work, but not to that work. Not to the work of people's eternal salvation being kept safe in God. I love you, and I also love you enough to tell you the truth. And, and to say things like, whether or not we know we're saved by the proof of how we react to sin, those kinds of things make me sick. And they keep me up at night. And, they, and there's, I almost feel like I can't even pre preach a message like that until I've prayed so many hours to prepare my own heart for a message like that. But that it is the truth, and it is not a popular one. Brianna, would you come, and would the rest of you stand with me? Church, if we have been reconciled, and I have been made fun of before thankfully not in this church but i've made been made fun of before for the emotions that i cannot help but express when i think of my own reconciliation with god if we have been reconciled i'm convinced that it will impact us deeply sincerely and truthfully and i feel that as christians the very least that we can do is respond to the lord with great thanksgiving and praise and I don't even know what that looks like. I know for me personally, it a lot of times means kneeling at an altar and praising God. 
giving me what I didn't deserve. And if that means for you standing in your seat, whatever that means, for us to be graciously thankful that God has extended to us what we did not deserve, then that's what I'm going to invite every Christian in here to do. And if you're not, if, you have, if the Holy Spirit has convicted your heart, and you know that you've walked out of the courtyard of your sin with another feeling other than repentance, truly, remorsefully, being willing to turn from what you know is sin before God, then I invite you to weep bitterly over your sin. And when you do, God will come running to you. He'll cook breakfast on the beach for you. You'll have nothing but warm, welcoming invitation to come to the Savior, and He'll save you and make you His child. And your name will be written in the Lamb's book of life. And you will be healed forever because of your sin. Let me pray and then we'll respond to the Lord. Father, we never deserved it, God. And there's never anything else that we could do to deserve it. But God, you're so gracious, we cannot even begin to scratch the surface of your grace, your mercy, and your compassion that you look upon our fickle hearts with. But God, we're here. And if there's anybody in this room who does not know you as Lord and as Savior and they've not left the courtyard of their sin weeping bitterly, the fact that they're here this morning is proof that you're extending yet another opportunity of gracious, merciful compassion to them and as an opportunity to repent and to turn to you. I pray that you'd strengthen our hearts to do just that. And for those of us that have been reconciled and redeemed, that we would have a thankful graciousness for what you've done in our lives. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen.